I will start with first saying that this is being recorded, so be aware of that. So we're now going to begin with Joko's book, Nothing Special, um, with the first chapter. Now, some of you have um, actually were at some of the talks, I imagine, that formed this book. I know I was. Of course, the talks are somewhat edited um, to make them into a book. But in order for us to fully appreciate this book, and in a way to practice with it and explore it in what I'll call a seminar version as if we were at the talk given, we need to first read the chapter before the class. I would recommend actually that you read it several days or even the week before so that you can chew on it as practice not consciously thinking about it, but that it becomes part of your ongoing life practice. And therefore, because of the subjects that it deals with, um, you will have greater clarity and make better use of our time together and make better use of exploring the book and the specific chapter. It's also that way the chapter becomes something that supports you. And that that's the point of this as well, to um, be supported by our examining these chapters, of having Joko, in a sense, participate via her book and her um, responses to the uh, to each of us in this and to have value that nurtures our life and each other in doing this together. So, I am therefore coming to this expecting that you will have read this and therefore your comments grow out of the reality of your own reflection on this, not just some quick quick response or thoughts about what uh, you hear someone else say, but your own reflections on this. So, this first chapter, Whirlpools and Stagnant Waters, in a way is a very, I think, powerful and challenging um, chapter, um, in part because so much of our life and culture is operating as if this is not so. Um, As Joko says, over the years we've trained ourselves to do the opposite of living as we are. Um, We don't understand that what our life is in this rushing water. Instead, we've trained ourselves to create stagnant pools. Um, and out of this ongoing effort comes all sorts, all of, as she puts it, all of our troubles and our separation from life. See, this, this point of whirlpools within a rushing stream or within a 
stream of life waters is a very valuable image. It's just an image. There is no whirlpool, there is no water, and yet it's a, it's a trope that is not new. Um, certainly in the Zen tradition, um, we have 8th, 9th century master Joshu um, responding to a question he, uh, about consciousness of a baby saying it's a ball tossed on rushing waters. That This is case 80 of the Blue Cliff Record. And then when he asked, when asked further about it, he said, non-stop flowing, non-stop flowing. So in a way it's the same trope that Joko is picking up now. In fact, I talk about this in my own book. I think, uh, yeah, it's chapter 15 where I talk about the Blue Cliff Record case, not so much Joko's comment. So this is a, an important theme because it's so difficult for us in the face of our life like this. It's so difficult for us to be a little more transparent to see out of the stagnant pool, to live the whirlpool and therefore not be so trapped and um, have difficulties because of the ways we stagnate the pool, because of what we want to hold on to in the pool, because of the things that get tossed into our whirlpool. So, now, what I want to do, as I said, is because you're all experts on your practice, because you've all read this chapter, I want to talk about what she says and talk about how we practice with it or how it doesn't make sense or or what needs to be further clarified rather than me repeating what she says. So as I say, this is a seminar. You're all experts. You've all read the basic text. At least that's what I'm going to assume. If you haven't read the text, please do read it. If you don't read it, we really can't... um, operate, have a class that's useful for each other. So, I'm going to stop here, and um, we could begin talking about what you've seen in this, what you find difficult with this. See, as she says, 90% of typical human life is spent trying to put boundaries around the whirlpool, which of course never works, because a whirlpool by its very nature isn't separate from the water, isn't separate from the stream, the river, and by its very nature is constantly buffeting any boundaries that we put up. It's constantly uh, revealing them for the figment of our imagination that they are. And when we refuse to see that, then all sorts of problems occur. So I'll stop here, and please, you take the lead in 
beginning the discussion of this. Are we on? Or do we have to? No. Oh, uh, Ellen Hewitt. Yes. Uh, 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 yeah, I have read this chapter, and um, I think I even read it uh, a while back. I, I have difficulty with the imagery that she uses. What's difficult? I, well, I don't, I don't relate to whirlpools. Uh, okay, stagnant water, still water. Uh, I, I have difficulty with it. Okay. Um, I was actually just yesterday, uh, we've had a lot of rain here, and I was hiking in the um, mountains, and the, the, the trickle streams that had been there in the fall are now rushing, rushing waterfalls and whirlpools, um, all sorts. So, to me, I don't quite get what you mean when you say you have difficulties, because I see it right there in front of me. But, in a way, seeing it outside is one thing. S- discovering that that's our very life, that's something that's much more difficult. So, how is it difficult for you? Well, I tend to think of you know, all the thoughts and stuff as more rushing, you uh-huh. know, more whirlpooling around, and I think that's the opposite of what she's saying. Mm. I think she, she's saying, no, life is this kind of, you know, the whirlpool is the healthy, if I'll say it that way, you know, um, energy going, you know, and then when we try to stop it with the thoughts and such, self-centeredness, being out of touch with reality, that that's the stagnation. Ah. So, so you're getting caught in the idea of the energy of 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 a whirlpool as, re, in some ways, being how you experience the rushing thoughts and emotions when that happens. That's in a way that that's fine. However, see that she's really talking the, that the whirlpool is much bigger. It's the whole idea of. Fay, the whole separation of Fay from the rest of life, the whole story of Fay starting 19 whatever when you were born and now in 20 whatever where you are now, extending to 20 wherever where you're going to be. That is the whirlpool. Now remember, it's just an image. It's, it's an image to enable us to to go beyond our usual um, our usual habits of mind that we see ourselves and our habits of mind as she puts it the 90% of life where we put boundaries around the whirlpool that is who we are that is this very energy. We want to solidify it into me inside this skin, as if it's a constant thing, as if it's a solid thing that goes through time. See, that's an image. The reality is, if you look at it from a different point of view, you're just constant flowing energy, even just on the level of physics and so forth, on the level of biology and so forth. It's only from 
holding on to this story of who we are, that we have that self-born such-and-such day, continued this bag of bones and skin, continuing as some sort of constant until such-and-such day, and then I die, whatever this I die means, and then they take this this bag of skin and bones and whatever we do with it, whether we bury it or do something else, and then it's over. That is the image that she's staying, is the boundarying, I'm making up a word, creating a boundary around a whirlpool, which is never the boundary. And a whirlpool is a continuous whirlpool. If you think of it, here she talks about it, a whirlpool in a river, I'll say a whirlpool in the ocean. So you don't even get the idea, a whirlpool in the ocean, you never think it's, See, in a river, you could say, oh, there's one place in the river at such and such point between such boulders that the whirlpool exists. I'll say it's a whirlpool in the ocean, and the ocean is constant movement, and there is no fixed place. Even if you say there's the whirlpool, the whirlpool is the constant, is constant motion too. And the rib, the ocean is this ocean of life that we keep thinking is solid. I'm here in California. You're there in Illinois. That's all a whirlpool. That's all a whirlpool within an ocean. It's all an ocean within a universe. That's the point she's making. Whether I say it on a physics level, that on an energy level, it's hard for us to get it because what do we start with the four practice principles? Caught in self-centered dream. We have this idea of who we are. Now, you don't have to accept this story. Accept, accept to notice where this discussion of whirlpool and stagnant waters clarifies things that create suffering and harm in your life and in the life of others. That's the only point. The rest of it, throw it out. It's just a set of images. Either one of them is a set of images. But if the set of images results in harm and suffering, then you know that maybe at least temporarily have an an alternative so that you don't hold on to those boundaries as solid. So those boundaries don't become justifications. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel? Yes. Um, I think, um, well, for me, this chapter, it did, it, it did start out, or I, at first, when I began reading it, it seemed a little conceptual. Um, uh-huh. and it is an analogy after all. But I think she, she clarifies it as she goes on, in giving examples of how we had do want to believe that our whirlpool is a separate thing from your whirlpool. And it, it's kind of an easy concept for me, perhaps because another name for a whirlpool is an eddy. But I think she references what Faye was talking about in here when she's talking about, this is on my page four, the, the where the first full paragraph, a few lines in. She talks about where debris flows into our little whirlpool 
Uh-huh. I think that's what Faye was talking about. Emotions and thoughts and our reactive habits are the debris which tend to, if we attach to them or try and fight them off, can stifle or turn our whirlpool into a stagnant pool. Yes. And what she says, it's, it gets all clogged up and then we create troubles, mental, physical, and so forth. So, but, but on the other hand, she also makes a point, and this is very important. On one hand, she says, this is all a story. Even the story, there's no life and no death. And there is life and there is death. See, otherwise we get stuck in these analogies. And while there is no life, there is no death, there is life and there is death. And life is the life of the river or the water. And death is the life of the water. So, eddies. Ah, okay, I didn't even think of that. That's a very nice analogy. Disruption to our practice. Speak up. The disruption to our practice. Eddies. It's just a joke. Okay. He was it's making a joke. Joke. I see. <laughs> well, in a way, it's the disruption to the to the uh, um, what should I say the the uh, debris accumulation in our whirlpool, and the, the see what we tend to do is even if we as we talk about this, we want to solidify the image. <laughs> and think that, oh, there is a continuous whirlpool. Instead of, instead of appreciating at least the possibility that it's a, it's a re-emerging whirlpool moment by moment, because the very nature of whirlpool, the very nature of rushing water is it's completely rushing. So despite the fact that we think it's solid, it's moving. And therefore, it's a continuously re-arising whirlpool. And yet, this re-arising whirlpool keeps having things thrown into it or things dragged along, whether we call them concept or stories or events from outside or events from inside, whether we call them mental or physical, whether we call them genetic, just as... Um, Illness arises. Where does it come from? That's some debris that's tossed into our whirlpool. Um, healing occurs. Where does it come from? That's some thing that's tossed into the functioning of our whirlpool. Whether it's myself, so-called, or so-called other whirlpools. Again, this is just a way of talking about our life. In a way... It's a waste. We don't need to talk about our life at all, except that we always are talking about our life when we tell ourselves the story of the stagnant waters. Therefore, therefore, because of the, as she puts it, 90% of the time that we want to create the boundaries around, I would say 98% of the time, but you could say 90 50, whatever number percent we, we 
reassert the boundaries, even, even as we discover how rich it is to expand the boundaries, we keep on trying to control and limit how the expansion goes. So even though that occurs, therefore we need this to throw this um, alternative vision into those boundaries so that we don't get bounded by the boundaries. We don't get trapped by the boundaries. Then it's a good story. Boundaries are fine. Good stories. Just like we have lots of other stories. Okay, let, let, let me stop and see what you all have to say of what you've read and reflected on and chewed on. Um, Alahu, this is Kitty. Yes. Um, the whirlpool thing reminds me of um, some commentary I heard from the poet David White that talks about when you're a little kid and maybe somebody picks on you in the playground and you feel hurt, then you take that hurt and you throw it in a tiny little black pouch on your belt. And as you go through life, um, all these experiences uh, kind of color the way you look at yourself and others in the world. And pretty soon you're dragging along a block-long bag of stuff that gets caught in elevators and doorways and things like that. And that's uh, what the whirlpool reminds me of, that we're constantly adding to the, the debris, the stack, the bag of stuff. And that stuff is not really our, our true self or our true nature. It's just stuff. <laughs> we just kind of let go of it. But it's not easy to do. Yes, because the debris keeps getting stirred around. And every time it's stirred around, if we, when it uh, appears to us, if we grab onto it, if we reinforce it, so to speak, rather than zazening it, rather than experiencing it and allowing it to be whirled by the whirlpool, instead we hold on to it, it becomes more stuck, stagnant debris, and it clogs up the, the, the rushing water that is our life, the the flowing water that is our life. It clogs it up literally and viscerally. And we can even feel it. We could feel it when we, when some of that old, so-called old, but it's only old, it's always the present moment. When that arises, if we hold on to it, we can feel it viscerally, our holding to it, our charging ourselves up with anger or upset or hurt or whatever with it. And sometimes we can. Sometimes we only feel little tendrils of it, and yet we're doing it in so many deep ways. And it's important. That's what our Zazen is the opportunity to be able to experience it so that it can just flow. It can flow in the present moment. So then it's just, hey, you know, debris comes into the into the whirlpool, goes out of the whirlpool. The whirlpool doesn't have a problem with debris. The only problem is if we try to grasp the debris and say, this debris has to be here, or I have to do something about this debris, instead of saying, hey, this 
this blue water's coming in, this red water's coming in, this, you know, little sticks are coming in, they come in, they go out. So, in a way, all of these are just images up, and um, you can say more than images, they're um, ways to encourage us to live our life as the river, as the ocean, as the flow of the water, so that we don't get limited by the whirlpool that we believe we are, the whirlpool that seems natural to us. There's nothing wrong with the whirlpool. It's natural. When there's a whirlpool, there's a whirlpool. When we're embodied, we're embodied. When body-mind functions, when I speak with a New York Yiddish accent, that's just how I speak. It's neither good nor bad. But it's just a whirlpool. If I hold on to that, if I insist that's the only true way and everyone else is making all these mistakes and I get angry with them if they speak differently or if I don't understand or if they get upset with my speech, then we create harming and suffering for ourselves and others. That's the point. That's what she's talking about. Hello? Oh. <laughs> hey, Ellie. She forgot what she says. What? Ellie, you, this is Debbie, and um, we've had this discussion before about things coming in. Speak up. I'm losing you there. Things come into the whirlpool and things go out, and they're either red or green or blue, but they're not. They're just things that come into the whirlpool. Yes. Um, some people might think that the red one is bad. Um, and that sometimes is hard to deal with thinking that it's just a thing to come into the whirlpool and, and go out and not hold on to. And... Um, regardless of, you know, it's sometimes it's good to think of it. This one's red, this one's green, this one's blue. It's not necessarily um, bad or good. It's an experience to come in. But I was reading what she said on page 7 when she's talking to her students because when those things come in, in this reality, when we're in the whirlpool, we do have to make choices. Sure. That's and exactly our wisdom. The wisdom of our life is to make choices skillfully that... And this is always, in this whirlpool, <laughs> the really difficult thing to do, whether it's red or green or experience that comes in. And she said, whatever choice we make, the outcome will provide us with a lesson. Yeah. We are kind of unaware we will learn that what we need to do next, which always seems difficult to me to have that wisdom to know what to do next. And she says, in this sense, there is no wrong decision. The minute we make a decision, we are confronted with our next teacher. We make decisions that make us uncomfortable. We may be sorry that uh -huh. we did what we did, and we learn from that. Yes. It's always... It's always, I, I 
hope for the wisdom to make the choice. Um, and I've said this a lot of times to you, and I, you know, try to call upon awareness <laughs> to to do that. And maybe she's saying, don't even worry if it's the wrong choice. Well, certainly she's saying that um, if you make a choice and then expect, okay, and there won't be any any things I have to deal with afterwards because I've made the perfect choice, that's where we get in trouble. We make the choice. And then, as she says, she uses the example of getting married. There's no ideal person to marry or an ideal way to live one's life. The minute we marry someone, we have a fresh set of opportunities for learning, fuel for practice, and I'll say fuel for reactive habits to appear. Some we imagined wouldn't exist. Some we imagined, oh, we're going to have a honeymoon forever or whatever. And then all of a sudden, oh, where did this come from? How does this person act that way? How come I'm getting upset that way? How could I have said or done that? And it doesn't make a difference, as she says, it's not only marriage or any relationship or any events or activities. It, we do our best. And the universe, that's our life, keeps revealing our next opportunity. And whether it's in terms of aging, changing relationships, events in the outside, events, events inside, things that we planned and, and don't happen, things that we planned and do happen, all of those are exactly this whirlpool of flow, except if we have an idea that I should do it once and it's going to be the way I want it forever. And of course, that daydream doesn't work, as we learn, as we know. That's why it's, whether the image of whirlpool or the image of flow of water or river or whatever, it's to make that point that there is no solidity that we could hold on to, and when we do try to hold on to the solidity, it gets us in trouble in the, fla in the face of the non-stop flowing, in the face of the no-boundary River. Whirlpools never have a boundary with the river. There's no separation, even though there's the energy of the whirlpool that, you know, is Debbie or is whoever the other person is. And we want to insist that no, it's self-other solid boundaries. And nevertheless, this whirlpool is called Debbie and that whirlpool is called something else. Like maybe what uh, Debbie just read. You have to you know, speak up a little more. It sounds like what Debbie just read, what Joko was saying to the student. Yes. That, that like Debbie said, that what comes into the whirlpool is red or green or yes. whatever. Well, the choices would be the same. They're red or green or blue, and whatever one you make, it's just red or green or blue. What do you mean the choices would be the same? Clarify that. I mean, they would be the same as it doesn't matter. It's not good or bad. It's just red or green or blue. No, but, but there's consequences for different choices, and it does matter. Each choice matters. Yeah, but the thing is, if you, if you, you have a have to, 
about making the right decision, then that's another boundary. You're right. right. You do your best. And you do your best means you discover the places where your choice was, if I excuse the expression, half-boiled because you only saw one side and you didn't see the other consequences or because you didn't realize how upset you'd get if you didn't get the, the, the outcome from the choice you made. Or uh, I'm just, you know, bringing up hypotheticals which we've all discovered. We make a choice and we say, okay, I'm picking the perfect job. And then I get into it and after two months I say, God, what did I do? Why am I here? <laughs> or, or other things. So, yes, the choices do matter. And they only matter in this moment. We do our best. And our best is limited by all the content of the whirlpool of my life of this moment. And then we continue. That's why it's called continuing practice. That's why she said, there's no ideal person to marry or ideal way to live one's life. The minute we marry someone, we have a fresh set of opportunities for learning fuel for practice. See, doesn't matter. Of course it matters. And it doesn't matter. You, we make our best choice, we do our best, and then we discover, oh, I was speaking in a wrong way, or I didn't quite understand what they were saying, or they didn't understand me, I said it in a way that they don't get it, or, and you could fill in all the rest of the oars, or, or where did that come from? I didn't know I'd get so upset when the toothbrush is on the wrong side of the, and you go on from there. Come in then. What? Where does skillful come in? That, that's exactly what we do each time. It's the ability of our experiencing presence that lets us see what's skillful, what's appropriate. It's not something that we have as a, quote, solid thing that we carry along, but it's the functioning of our life that our ongoing practice allows us to be able to function skillfully more or less. Sometimes in some situations we can't because we're so reactive. Sometimes we can easily see it. Sometimes we're so blinded or we've never had this in our whirlpool and we don't know what to do or we misunderstand or ta-ta. That's where skillful practices, whether it's so-called in the beginning or so-called at the end. Well, another aspect of this that I was thinking about today, and you kind of alluded to it earlier in the beginning of tonight, um, you know, we talk about things coming into the whirlpool and clogging it up and attachments and reactive habits, those sorts of things. But another aspect of this is we start to notice that our whirlpool is beginning to slow down and isn't quite as stable or as strong as it used to be. Um, or we see someone we love. Their whirlpool is beginning to fade away. Mm -hmm. You know, it, the analogies are fine and, the, and they're, they're good to, you know, point out how we tend to get caught and hung up and our ideas about things. 
But at the same time, you don't want to see, you know, your mother's whirlpool fade away. Yes. And it's important to know, don't get caught in the idea that I have one whirlpool or my mother has a separate whirlpool. When you're with your mother, there's one whirlpool called you and your mother. Um, that's the, this moment's whirlpool. When you even think about your mother, there's this moment's whirlpool of you and your mother. Otherwise, we start getting, we turn whirlpool into another solid idea of there's all these different whirlpools out there and then we get more images. This is an image, this is a, a, a way of talking about it, but we need to not Use it skillfully, let it help us and support us, but still don't get too fixed with it, because otherwise it it becomes something that we try to superimpose onto a, con, if I use the word, constantly flowing, non-stop rushing water. Yeah, it becomes um, just an idea that has no value. But yeah. I, I, like, I like what you said about, you know, being with someone, you know, there's just one whirlpool there, and we're all a part of it. Um, that's a nice, nice image. Okay. Anyone who hasn't said anything but wants to say something, if you don't want to, that's fine, but if you want to bring something up, please do. Cindy, and I guess I, um, after reading this uh, chapter, I just noticed um, different times this week, mostly at work, where um, something came up where I, sometimes it was, um, there's really a lot to do right now, and um, I was feeling... Um, anxious about being able to get things done by the time I thought they should be done and feeling worried about that and that that sense of um, I've got to do it this particular way. It has to be done just like that um, was was very strong and and um, you know, there was suffering that along with that. And mm-hmm. there were times when I just couldn't, I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't do it that way. And seeing, I mean, it sounds sort of, um, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> this is a judgment. But to me, it sounds a little bit uh, like an exaggeration to talk about uh, having this strong sense of fear because, you know, something wasn't done at work by a particular point in time, but that's really what it felt like. And mm-hmm. and to just see that um, that things just kept going. That I don't know how to put it, but it's almost like this this expectation that something was just going to stop. But things just kept going, and 
um, you know, some of the times the work didn't go the way I thought it would, and it wasn't done the way I thought it would, but then, you know, things just kept going, and, oh, well, you know, I could do it this way, or this could happen instead, and, I mean, I guess, you know, this happens all the time, but I was just, uh, I was very aware of that, um, and how much, um, just, I don't know, stress and suffering is added from really holding on to these ideas about how I think something needs to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess that's, I, 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 I don't know, I... The imagery to me in this chapter is all it's been uh it's very uh, uh I find it very helpful. Um and and just even some of the phrases that um are used just um seem very like very clear pointers to uh the the source of um, suffering. So good, good. And fear appears in the whirlpool, but if we know it as uh, appearing and disappearing in the whirlpool, we don't have to. What should I say? Try to fix the fear, get rid of the fear, do something about it, fear the fear, because we know the the whirlpool of water, the rushing stream, just keeps on rushing, and, it, you know, it, it shows up and it leaves, but things in a, in a whirlpool, they can't do any harm to the other rest of the water, the water just rushes around, and some things come in and some things go out, but the water is water, which means that whatever fear is, it shows up and it leaves because it's just another, what should I say, collection of the water, another um, form of the water. So, fear is here. It's our stagnating it, our solidifying it, our bounding it, and our trying to bounce things off it and fight with it and do things about it or do things to who we blame for it or what we blame for it that creates all sorts of troubles in our life because we experience it in a way that's troublesome, that's painful, that's harmful, that hurts, that creates suffering for us and sometimes for others. That's the point. Fear, it's welcome to the human life. It includes fear arising and fear passing. And that's why um, Joko at one point talks about um, the so-called different levels or the absolute and the relative. Um, or she puts it on different level, each is true. This is talking about there is no life and death, and there is life and death. And you can say there is no fear, and there is fear. 
And that's exactly when we do the Heart Sutra. Form is exactly emptiness, emptiness exactly form. But saying that is is easy. It's the living it when we're struck in our guts, so to speak, by the fear. Um, or our whole body and mind is running around about it. And we find ourselves saying and doing things without even knowing because the fear that we're just shaking with. But I don't, let me stop here. Anyone else have something that they want to bring up about this chapter? So I, I would like to encourage, first continue chewing on this past chapter and read the next chapter, which is The Cocoon of Pain. As I said, some of you might have been at the Zen Center when Joko gave these talks, might have heard them on tape, might have read them. That's all fine, but still read it as soon as you can in the next few days so that you can chew on it for a while. If you want, mark up your book. Um, you could use pencils if, or keep a notepad next to it. And then we will discuss it and explore it next week. Okay? Okay. Uh, thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everybody.